Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's a joy to have the Word here before us, looking forward to uh, what the Lord has for us here in Titus chapter 2 this morning. Before we jump in, I'd like to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your Word, and I'm grateful, Lord, for Jesus, His resurrection, His death and resurrection. It's because He died and rose again. Those of us in Christ can now walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for raising up Christ. And in doing so, you've raised us up who are in Christ. It's through the death of your son that we are now made new. We are, what the Bible says, new creations. We have been regenerated. We're born again to walk in newness of life. We're intended to bear fruit to God now with our lives because of Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word And as we'll see here in this letter that Paul writes to Titus, you have a word here for us in terms of how we're to live, all of us. But today, Lord, in particular, I pray for our mothers and give you thanks for all the mothers represented here in your house this morning. Father, I pray that you would raise them up to be women of faith, that you would raise them up to do your good works, that you would raise them up to be women who handle the word rightly. Raise up women in this place, I pray, Father. Raise them to understand what biblical motherhood really is. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach them the beauty of walking in biblical motherhood all of their days, and in doing so, pleasing you and giving you glory and honor for your name's sake. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, it was a great blessing to spend two days. I want to say thank you to the church on behalf of Ralph. Myself, we, uh, we enjoyed our, our two full days of sitting under uh, the Word. It was quite a blessing. And uh, that conference, some of you may know, some of you may not, the, con- the conference is called Basics. And uh, for good reason. For the last 18 years, Basics has been going on. And that's really the idea behind gathering preachers once a year to remind them of the most important things, the basics. It's what we're about, and it's what we're supposed to be about as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, one of the things that oftentimes I share with you is the need to take what you hear and put it into practice, right? How many times have you heard that spoken? A lot. Take what you hear, put it into practice. Move from becoming a hearer only to a doer. Hearing without doing is an exercise, the Bible says, in self-deception, right? If we become a hearer only and not a doer, we deceive ourselves. So having sat under the preaching of the word this week, myself, I'd like to implement what I heard preached. I'd like to do that this morning. I'd like to exercise some basics as a hearer of the word and put them into motion. Here are the two basics that I want to share with you right out of the gate and and fill in as we go this morning. Two things all of us preachers were told. Read the text, explain the text. Read the text, explain the text. It's pretty basic, isn't it? It is. And yet, it's what we're to be doing. Holding forth the word of God. Reading it, explaining it, and in the context of explaining should be our applying. 
In other words, we allow the text of Scripture to serve as catalyst for our application to the listener. Application shouldn't be disconnected from the text itself. So read it and explain it and apply it by means of what the text says. Sounds basic. And yet it's how we hear and learn and become doers of the word. It's how we grow and how we mature in the faith. Hearing the word read. Faith comes by what, church? Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing his word. And so that's why I was telling the, the, these three young men standing behind me this morning, I was telling them, just reminding them of some of these basics of how important it is when we stand to read God's word. I told them, I said, you know what? And I didn't want to put any undue pressure on any of them this morning. But I did want to point out to them how significant the reading of the text is. This is the word, I told them, that has the power to save. This word. And so anytime it gets read, we not only ought to read it well, but we ought to be listening well. It's his word. So with that in mind, I'm going to have you stand. And I'm going to have these three young men read our text in Titus chapter 2. But as for you... Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good and obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may, may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient, to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing good fidelity, that all may be adorned, the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. But by the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should, love, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us for every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speaking these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You may be seated. The focus of our time together is going to be in verses 3 through 5. You might be wondering, perhaps, where we get resurrected motherhood from this text. All of what we're reading in, in verses 3 through 5 reflect motherhood as it's intended to be. We might call this a suitable summary of biblical motherhood. What's being advocated here in the text is the way things ought to be. I'd like you to ask yourself this morning, 
whether these instructions are only intended for the women in Crete or whether they also qualify for women today. Hopefully that answer is somewhat obvious. Just to kind of be helpful in this, I'd like to maybe ask you another question and have you consider at least the elder qualifications that are found in Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Are they exclusive to those serving as elders within the local church? Dads and moms, any of those qualities in Timothy 3 or Titus 1 that you would leave out when applying to your own sons? Are there any as you read through the list that you go, no, I don't want that for my son? I believe what we have in the text before us in Titus 2 is a call to biblical motherhood. The church in Crete is getting established and, and Titus is being charged with proper protocol in terms of operating biblically. It's a good way to start things when you start it biblically. Amen? When you start in the right foundation, it's a great place to start. Sure beats having to repair, rearrange, go back to the beginning, and do things all over. Well, this church in Crete is starting and being established, and Paul has placed Titus here in Crete. And he's charged with establishing what these relationships in the body of Christ ought to look like. Here's how people in the church are to relate to one another. Here's how the older men are to behave. Here's how the older women are to operate. Here's how the younger women are to walk. The younger men are to walk this way. And the bond servants and the masters, the workers and the employees, the workers at the workplace, they're intended to interact this way. Church is biblical instruction. What's the church to do with biblical instruction? I was reading something this week that's very helpful in this regard. What do we do with biblical instruction? We hear it. We believe what it says to be true because it's God's word. We then adjust our lives appropriately. We obey what it says. I want you to keep that in mind as we explain the text. We read the text and we're going to spend the remainder of our time explaining the text. Okay? We read it. We're going to explain it. So the Lord would have you hear and believe his word, what he's saying here, and then have you adjust and correct as necessary so that you can obey and walk in his word. Resurrected motherhood is, is a call to raising up, if you will, for today, a generation of mothers who look and behave and operate much like what the Bible calls for in this text. Resurrected motherhood is not a raising up of dead mothers not what we're talking about. It's very clear we get that out there. Although I will say this, as we speak about the term resurrected, we've talked in previous weeks about something that is resurrected, someone that is resurrected has been dead. It is true in some sense, I pray it's not true here, but it is true in some sense, there are some mothers more spiritually dead than others. And I would venture to say that there's a good deal of resurrection in that regard that is needful in our day today. Specifically for mothers, yet not exclusively for mothers. Right, dads? <laughs> this isn't just for mothers, but much of what we're going to talk about today is geared directly at them. What we're going to see in this text 
tends to fly against the motherhood of the times we live in. What the Bible calls mothers to and what is currently existing as motherhood in many circles, these seem to be disjointed, disconnected, foreign in many ways, what we're going to be looking at in Titus 2. What recourse do you take when the Bible says this and your life says this? In other words, two different things are being spoken. The pattern called for is to hear God's word, believe by faith what it says is true, and adjust your life as necessary to the scriptures through obedience. You adjust and obey by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who is working within you. If you are in Christ and have the Holy Spirit in you, you are enabled to do these things that I'm speaking of. I'd like to share three preliminary notes before explaining verses 3 through 5. These preliminaries, they all begin with a C, help you remember these preliminaries. I want you to see something here in Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. Like all verses in the scripture, they have a surrounding context. To preach and explain verses 3, 4, and 5 without any surrounding reference points would be faulty if not foolish. Remember, my objective this morning as, a, as, as someone who is handling and preaching God's word is to read God's word, which we have done, and to explain it, which is what I'm now doing. It's hard to explain God's word if all we do is just preach a verse or a verse or two without any of the surrounding context. All text sits in a context. So let me briefly give you some context to help you understand the passage. Here's the first C up front that I'd like you to to remember about this. This is preliminary notes here. What we have here before us in chapter 2, verse 1, is a charge. We've got a charge. Titus 2, verse 1 begins, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The word speak is imperative in tense. What's that mean? It means it's a command. It means it's not optional. And it's in the present tense. What's that mean? It means it's intended to be an ongoing action. Keep on speaking. Timothy, he says, or excuse me, Titus, he says, you must keep on speaking the things which are proper for sound doctrine. I want you to see that the beginning of the chapter is a charge, a command to Titus to speak the things that are proper or things that are fitting or things that are consistent with healthy, sound teaching. Okay, here's the second C. Make sure I got them in the right order. Contrast. Again, look at chapter 2, verse 1. How does it begin? But, as for you. The you is singular. It's referencing Titus. The recipient, primary recipient of the letter. The but is a contrast word, isn't it? What's being contrasted? Ask ourselves the question as we read the text. What's being contrasted? The context, the context in the last half of, of Titus chapter 1 tells us that some, especially of the circumcision, that would be the Jewish folks, tells us that they're insubordinate, tells us that they're idle talkers, tells us that they're deceivers. They've been subverting whole households, the text says in Crete. Island of Crete, out in the Mediterranean. They've been teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. 
In fact, in chapter 1, it tells us that there's this Cretan prophet. It's said to trace all the way back to 5th century B.C. Epimenides, one of the Cretan prophets, who, who's quoted by Paul here, saying that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. How'd you like to have that as what you're known for? But you know what? You know what Paul says in, in the very next verse, in verse 13? He says, this testimony is true. Paul is solidifying that some hundred years later, after this quote had been made about the island of Crete, Paul's saying, hey, it's still true. That's still what this group of people looks like in large part. Paul confirms, and he says to Titus, you're to rebuke their false teaching. Rebuke is necessary that they might be sound in the faith. The end of chapter 1 tells us that this group of people is a group who profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. Do you know any folks like that? I ask you this morning, are you like that? Professing the name of God and yet your works deny what you're professing. Some folks call that hypocritical. We say one thing, we do something different completely. Well, that was this group of people on the island of Crete. And then chapter 2, verse 1 begins, but... As for you, Titus, there's this contrast that's coming here in chapter 2. The groups of people in the first half of Titus 2 are intended to align their behavior with their beliefs. Titus is being contrasted with the Jewish deceivers. Sound teaching is being contrasted with deceptive false teaching. So we have a charge and we have a contrast. Here's the third C. It's care. Care. Titus has been left on the island of Crete for two primary reasons. And you see it in Titus 1 verse 5. Look in your Bible. It's there. Titus 1 verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should, one, set in order the things that are lacking, the things that have been left undone. And two, appoint elders in every city as I commanded you or directed you. Paul has left his first Roman imprisonment. He's writing this letter sometime around 65 AD, give or take. This is one of the letters oftentimes referred to as a pastoral letter, along with 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Titus is his true son in the faith. Titus is Greek, and he's one of Paul's trusted companions in the faith. Paul is charging Titus to provide care for the churches in Crete. Setting in order the things that are lacking, things that are yet undone, and appointing elders in every city. By the way, the appointment of elders was going to go a long way to help the problem that's talked about in verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1. Those insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, the elders were going to be primary in helping combat the false teaching. Because you see, the elders were to be the ones teaching the truth. And the elders were going to encourage the church body to stand on the truth to combat the false teaching. See how this is all linked together. The care is a proper nurturing of sound doctrine with sound behavior. Care is taken to see that older men, older women, younger women, younger men, bond servants and masters are instructed in sound doctrine from God's word. It's as though he's saying, here's how to care for each of the people that you're ministering to, Titus. So the context includes a charge, a 
a contrast and attention to care for those entrusted to him on the island. So with that in mind, now let's look at verses 3 through 5, okay? We have some context now. We pick it up having bypassed verse 2. Verse 2, which is the first group, the older men, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. He then moves on to verse 3, which is where I want to spend the rest of our time in 3, 4, and 5. The older women likewise. Now, here in verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul instructs Titus to keep on speaking. Remember, that's the idea here in verse 1. Keep on speaking fitting words to the older women and to the younger women. Keep on. The text assumes both groups to be women who are married with children. The content actually provides that assumption. And yet it's important to note that whether you are here today and you are married with children or not, any women can learn a great deal from these verses. Any of the women and young ladies here today, whether you are married with children or not, you can learn a great deal from the passage we're talking about this morning. What's proper and fitting for the older women as it pertains to sound doctrine? What are the older women to be practicing? The text gives us four characteristics and behaviors for the older women. Four. Okay. So we're going to break these out. Four specifically for the older women here. And, and I'm, I'm getting these points. I'm getting these right from the text. I'm explaining the text. It's what I'm doing here this morning. First of all. They're to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. We think about this reverent in behavior. The word reverent has in mind that which is suitable to holiness, uh, temple-like. It's an interesting word. The, the root of this word is, is hieron in the original language, which is the word for, for temple. And, and one writer was talking about this word and says, they're to carry out, these women, these older women, are to carry out into daily life the demeanor of one in a temple. What's that all about? Well, they're, they're to be like people engaged in sacred duties. They're to be like people employed in sacred service. The, the older women are to be reverent in behavior. They're to be holy women. They're to treat their lives as though employed for the Lord God himself. Whoa! That's a, that's a pretty big one to start with. Reverent in behavior. I love this word description. For it speaks of motherhood as a sacred duty. A sacred service. A sacred privilege. I'm not placing, if you'll notice in this text, I'm not placing an age limit on who's the older women here and who is the younger women here. The text doesn't give me an age. I'm not going to make one up. I think you probably have some ballpark idea of where you stand, whether you are an older woman or a younger woman in the text. The reality is, as you read through 3, 4, and 5, all of these things in 3, 4, and 5 are things that all women, all mothers are to be practicing, exercising. Do you approach motherhood as a sacred duty and service as unto the Lord? Be reverent in behavior. Two, not slanderers. Not slanderers. 
The word is diabolus, which is a word that's connected to the wicked one. You might sound, that sounds familiar to some of you. An appropriate word it is. For slander is using the tongue for the devil's purpose. Using your tongue for the devil's purpose. Older women, mothers, are not to employ their tongues for the evil one. James chapter 3 describes the tongue as a little member which boasts great things. The tongue, James 3 says, is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It defiles the whole body and is is set on fire by hell. A little bit later in that same James 3 chapter, out of the same mouth, proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not be so. Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I was reminded of that wonderful song. Take my voice and let me sing. Always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Filled with messages from thee. Mothers, the text says that you are not to use your tongues in the service of the evil one. No slanderers. Keep your tongue from evil. Instead, let your mouth be filled with messages from the king. Let your mouth be filled with his praise. Let your mouth be filled with his word. Listen, your mouth isn't going to be filled with his word unless and until it's found in your heart, in your mind. Because what's in the heart? Out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks, the Bible says. Is it in you? Is his word in you? Truth-filled words, uplifting words, encouraging words that will please the one that you serve, your king. Number three. Not given to much wine. Not given to. Given to. Not to be given to much wine. Those words be given to are rendered from the root word doulos. You might remember doulos in the, in the original language. You know what doulos is? A doulos is a slave. So in other words, what we're talking about here, ladies. Older women are not to be enslaved to wine. They're not to be attached to it. A mother who is enslaved to wine, think about this for just a moment, or any other alcoholic drink is not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, speaking not just to women, but applying this now to you women. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with what? With whom? With the Holy Spirit. Instead of being drunk with wine, instead of having something else control your mind, which then controls your actions... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When your mind is controlled by another substance, you are subject to that substance. Wine or alcoholic beverage has the ability to alter your state of mind. Do not be drunk. Don't be a slave to the drink. Make a pattern of this, mom, and you not only are physically affected, but you are spiritually affected as well. You are under the control of a mind-altering drink and not the power of the Holy Spirit. Not given to much wine. Here's the fourth one directly to the older mothers and women. 
teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. It's a compound word here in the original. Kalos, the daskalos, good teachers. I believe one writer has this uh, very well put, is this explaining this particular word to help us understand, give us explanation. It says that the word does not refer to formal instruction, but rather the advice, listen, this is important, the advice and encouragement they can give privately by word and example. How often do older women have conversations with younger women? Hopefully one of the takeaways from the text is if it's not happening in your life, perhaps it needs to be happening in your life. For, for many of us moms in here, it happens in your home all the time, I would imagine, with your daughters in particular. But more pointedly to the text... Older women having conversations with the younger women. Older married women with children having conversations with younger marrieds with children. Consider for a moment what those conversations look like. Consider the context of those kinds of conversations. Older women are to be teachers of good things. Remember this chapter is set in contrast to those in Titus 1. Those who were teaching what they ought not teach. Remember that? And they were teaching these things for dishonest gain. The older women are charged with teaching good things, right things, God-honoring things, helpful things. And what comes next in the text is a collection of favorite things under the banner of being a good teacher. I was reminded and couldn't help think about the scene, Julie Andrews singing... In bed, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, these are a few. You know, you got the, she's there on the bed and the storm's going, right? And all these little ones are in there, they're scared of the storm. And the boys end up coming in too. Remember the scene? And in the midst of the storm, she's singing about her favorite things. And these favorite things, what do they do to her and to the children? What do they do? They cheer everybody up. What are the favorite things to remember as it pertains to being a teacher of good? To the text, it says that the older women, verse 4... They admonish the young women. That's the audience specifically addressed here in the text. Older women to younger women with the assumption based on the content that both parties are married with children. Admonish has in mind to teach or train these young women in self-control. What are they to teach them? Let's take the first two together. They go together. What are they to teach them? I'm just for time's sake, I'm just going to write the key word here. The first one is to love their husbands. The second one is to love their children. Literally, the text says that these older women, as they are admonishing the younger women, what are they to teach them? They're to teach them to be husband-loving and children-loving. Husband-loving, children-loving. And I would ask you, women, this morning, mothers, is 
this, are, are these two things some of your favorite things? To love your husband, to love your children, do you make it a practice to show them love? With all the teaching and educating that many of you do, have you perhaps forgotten the call to love them? To love them. By the way, the list of favorite things that comprise teachers of good, there in verse 3, the idea of love has fallen by the wayside, hasn't it? The older might be instructing the younger to love their husband, but the counsel to love them only goes so far in some conversations. See, because when problems begin to mount in their marriages and, and they're drawing attention to keep on loving their husbands, we wonder, where is, where is that at? Is that instruction remain? Obviously, in certain situations, certain counsel may need to go in a different direction. There are some of those instances But remember that this list of favorite things is not simply a laundry list to be passed down to the younger women. The older women are to be practicing these things as well, right? The older women are instructed to admonish the younger women, but it's not just as a matter of, hey, you need to do this, and I'm not, I don't have to do it. No, the older women, as you're teaching this, this is something that's so important that you yourself are practicing so that they can see it in action. These words in verses 4 and 5 ought to really be good and helpful words. If they are your favorite things because you've been accustomed accustomed to patterning your life in this way, it's going to show when you come alongside other women. It's going to be attractive. It's going to be compelling. It's going to be an opportunity to draw others to the good things of Jesus Christ. So husband loving and children loving. We live in a day when calling it quits in your marriage has become the norm. Abandoning your children isn't so bad these days. Resurrected motherhood is a call to love your husband and love your children, to choose to love them. Look at verse 5. To be discreet. That's number three. Discreet. The word discreet is also rendered Modest or modesty. Another favorite thing to share with a younger married with children is modesty. Oh, this is a big one, isn't it? How can you effectively communicate what it is to be modest, older women? Be modest yourself. And oftentimes when we think about being modest, we, we tend to immediately go to and think about attire, don't we? A modest modesty in our look and our appearance and what we're wearing. If we ever needed a resurrected motherhood in this arena, uh, it's today. We need that in a great way. The, the Bible's not silent on this, mothers. Hard to be teachers of good things. Hard to come alongside a younger woman about what she's wearing when you have on something that is suggestive or borderline indecent yourself. This is a word that's intended to be taught to the younger women. Yet how often does the subject of modesty, even in your own homes, go unaddressed? There's addressing the modesty attire issue in terms of what is acceptable and not not acceptable, but there's also 
what the Bible talks about the inward, right? The inward heart issue to address. Think about it this way. If, if we are charged to be reverent in behavior, going back to what I said previously about older women, treating our daily lives like one in the duty of our king in the temple, how might that relate to this modesty issue? Would it matter what you wear to work for the Lord? Are you more interested in pleasing others than you are the Lord? Have you considered the Lord when you dress for the Lord's work? How would he have you dress? And with what heart would he have you approach this whole subject? Are you dressing, desiring modesty in an effort to be most useful to your Father in heaven? Some important questions for us. Here's the next one in the passage. Chaste. So we have discreet or modesty. We have chaste. Has in mind purity. Has in mind blamelessness. Not perfection. There are none of those. I haven't met one yet. Have you? I haven't met one. I don't think we're going to find one. Purity. Biblical motherhood is a call to live modestly and with all purity. Purity comes from the root word that has in mind holy or set apart. Are we instructing younger women and living out ourselves a desire to be set apart to the Lord? Is there a purity in our daily walk that's evident? Are we calling other women to practice purity today? We don't have to look very far to see there are lots of women and men, young men, operating far from purity today. I, I bought some, some bracelets recently, uh, one for uh, my oldest daughter, but also I think some of you maybe are recipients, some of you older teenage uh, young ladies. There was a bracelet, and on the bracelets, one word, Purity. Purity. I want to just specifically remind you about something, young ladies, older ladies. You're not going to get a whole lot of help in this arena from the world at all. God's word instructs you in this way, but much of the world is going a different direction. Impurity, immorality, independence... Resurrected motherhood lives and teaches that purity is God's way and therefore the way to go. John prepares us for the return of Jesus Christ when he submits these words in John, 1 John 3, verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him, in Christ, in his return, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. We're, we're to be about practicing purity because our Lord Jesus himself is pure, blameless. An expectation of Christ's return should find us habitually purifying ourselves. Number five, we look at the text. Homemakers. I'm explaining the text. I'm pointing out everything we're talking about this morning is coming right from the text. Homemakers, that's the next one on the list. Literally, I'm not a big fan of, of the New King James rendering here. Homemakers. And it also, I think, has a certain connotation in our society today when they hear about that. Um, uh, the actual wording uh, is made up of, of two, two words. 
uh, literally house or home and workers. So oikos and ergos, uh, house or home workers, or working at home. Okay, that's kind of the idea of the word. The idea is uh, homemaker seems to not be a culturally acceptable terminology today. And it's important that you understand a homemaker in large part today is deemed insignificant, less than glamorous for sure. What do you do? I'm a homemaker. Oh. Have you women ever gotten that? Or maybe you've gotten more than just the facial. Maybe you've gotten words to go with it. Well, that's archaic. And to some in society today, a homemaker is someone who who looks bedraggled, is always at home, always miserable, always barking at her children. Homemaker implies to some in the world today that you just can't get a real job. That's what some people actually think. Listen, can I raise up for just a moment and resurrect motherhood in this arena? Because it needs to be spoken. The Bible teaches us that motherhood matters. It matters. Motherhood is vital to God's plan for the family, for the church. In particular, we see the connection in this text. Biblical motherhood is not an option. And it stands out in great contrast from that of the world. Rightly so, for it demands a set-apartness unto God. Motherhood requires the Spirit of God actively at work. Biblical motherhood may be geared directly to women. But when biblical motherhood, listen, when biblical motherhood is evidenced, the impact extends to everyone in the home. Amen, men, amen, sons, huh? daughters. We all are impacted by the work of our mothers at home. One writer shared that in a Jewish household, the married woman was tasked with, listen to this task, They were tasked to grind flour, to bake, to launder, to cook, to nurse the children, to make the beds, to spin the wool, to keep the house, to be responsible for hospitality and the care of guests. No small list. If the women are called to be workers at home, this does not mean they have to be locked inside the home for 24 hours a day. Amen? That's not what it's saying. That's what some people think it says. That's not what it says. But a keeper of the home needs to be in the home to be deemed a worker at home. Amen? I have a worker at home, and I'm sure many of you men can attest to the same thing. Who loves what she does? She loves what she does. Each day is a work day in the sense of training, discipling the children in the ways of the Lord. And here again, we go backward to being reverent in behavior. Verse 3, reverent speaks to how I go about my work. Do you carry out your motherhood responsibilities as though you were in the service of the Lord? I think it's important, moms, that you understand it needs to be spoken, that you are irreplaceable. I I was reading a a ministry newsletter that, that came in the other day. And I was drawn to 
the article itself, and the writer was talking about a book that they'd read recently, and the book was titled uh, The Rise of the Robots. I have no idea what the book is about other than what she wrote in the article. Okay, so don't, don't like, Google this book and look it up and go buy it. I, I don't know. All I know is that this was a book that she was reading, and it was interesting to her because one of the things that it was talked about was it spoke of a number of jobs and how all these jobs were dying out because of the robot today. And it went on and says... Quote, if you are a mother, I have a really, really good news for you. You cannot be replaced. The reality is that robots will never be able to replace mothers because, listen, God has ordained you to fulfill a specific aspect in his creation. When God decrees an honor to be fulfilled, mankind cannot manufacture a solution that will accomplish the same purpose. I look around this room and I see a lot of workers at home. A lot of workers at home. Don't ever be ashamed to tell others who you are in this regard. Don't ever be ashamed to state what your work is. Remember Nehemiah? He was called away from something. And you remember what he said to the the people? They kept sending letters. They kept trying to distract him from his work. I have a great work. I'm not going anywhere. Mothers, you've got a great work. Work at it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as unto the Lord. And don't be ashamed to tell other people about what your work is. Uh, It's a great work. It's a heavy work. It's a hard work. It's a sacrificial work. A worker at home. Is this one of your favorite things? This is a component of biblical motherhood, church. The next one on here is, is good. Some translations maybe say kind. Some translations actually take the word good and attach it to the actual homemakers, be that as it may. Um, a teacher of good ought to instruct in good things, amen? Uh, that's, and do good toward the younger women. Looking out for their good. The good ought to align itself with God's ways and God's truth. The good that you share with them ought to be anchored in the scriptures. Okay, enough said about that. Obedient to their own husbands. Obedient, dot, dot, dot. Obedient to their own husbands. Obedient is the word hupotasso, submissive. This is what's called for in Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Are we teaching younger women these things? As a godly mother instructing other young women, are we shying away from passing these favorite things along? See, teachers of good things take the word of God and obey what it says. It's going to cost you. It's going to require sacrifice. It will mean that you'll be a peculiar person in the context of the world. You will be pushed to the perimeters, thought less of, regarded as strange in the eyes of the world. But let me give you some great news. The Lord will be pleased as you desire to live your life for Him. Be a mother who seeks to be most useful to her master. The text gives each mother and young lady here some basics for biblical motherhood. Transferring these basics to the younger women. There's something at stake here. Something that ought to urgently move each older woman along in this. Look at the text at the end of verse 5. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. These favorite things are to be passed along so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Mothers, do you see this? 
All of what the scriptures call you to do is for the sake of the Lord and his word. Another rendering here is that the message of God may not be blasphemed. So when mothers are operating like the world instead of the pattern of sound words in the scriptures, the text is saying and pointing to that we're being blasphemous toward the word of God. We're blaspheming the message of God. You see what this is saying? Biblical motherhood is a high calling. It's set apart unto the Lord. And to operate apart from these good things in the text is to go against or to speak a word against God himself by the way that you live your life. Are you pursuing biblical motherhood with such a passion called for in the text? Are you in this to see God's name and God's word, God's message right here, God's message? Are you in this to see God's message raised up high and not blasphemed. What a holy calling, mothers. High bar, for sure. I exhort you and encourage you to go for it, to strive, to pursue, to press on. Those are biblical words. The power of the Holy Spirit Give this all you've got. And husbands and sons, there's a word here for you as well. Having heard what we just heard about mothers. Seeing the stakes that are involved, we ought to be their greatest cheerleaders on earth. Who else is raising them up? Who else is going to call them blessed? Who else is giving them a good word to remain true to the Lord? Who else is saying, keep going, mom. Keep walking with the Lord. Husbands and sons and daughters, but especially husbands and sons. We need to be cheering them on. I'd like to give you one other picture before we close. As you keep reading through these other groups of people in Titus chapter 2, younger men and bond servants and masters, you, you, you finally get to verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. These are commands. These are not options. He's telling Titus, speak these things. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, speak these things. Keep on speaking these things. Verse 15, speak these things. We end with where we began. It's a call to speak these things. Keep on speaking them. He provides this big picture summary starting in verse 11. It begins with four. A small word, but pretty important in the context. The four here denotes an explanation that's coming. What is it that explains our behavior and who we are to be in Christ? 
Seems to me the text says God's grace. God's grace teaches us that salvation has come. One chapter later in Titus 3, we see that Paul tells Titus that God's grace also justifies us. Verse 7, chapter 3. God's grace teaches us. God's grace justifies us. The explanation for why we hear and heed to God's way has everything to do with His grace. His grace, moms, is sufficient for you. Rely upon His grace to teach you. Rely upon His grace to save you. When you wake up in the morning to set about your holy work at home, remember what's needed to keep going. God's grace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, to all. Resurrected motherhood is in need today. Biblical motherhood, taking what the text says and responding to it in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what resurrects motherhood. The proverb writer gets it right when he says this in chapter 31, verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord... A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for raising up biblical motherhood in this passage. You've raised up other things as well in this passage, but in our time for this morning, we've We've looked at a specific few verses that really point to and shine light on biblical motherhood. You've given, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you've you've given to Paul some instruction to Titus that he's to keep on speaking to these various groups of people on the island of Crete. Lord, we know in this word here that this is not simply instruction for those on Crete. But Lord, this is also instruction for women today, for mothers today to adhere to, to walk in. And Lord, I pray that as husbands and as sons in particular, we would have a better understanding of what it is you've called our wives and mothers to, and that we would cheer them on We would be their their greatest fans and pointing them to Jesus, praying for them, encouraging them in the word, as husbands washing our wives in the word so that they would be strengthened according to your word. Lord, remind each one of the mothers here that your grace is sufficient for them every day of their life. When people are saying things, when people are doing things, when they're feeling like they're on the perimeter of of society because of their work at home and, and what they're doing as a mother in accordance to the truth of the scriptures, I pray, Lord, that you would just impress upon them, help them to know and to realize the the, the peace that you have given to them. May their minds 
bestowed upon you. And may they experience the perfect peace that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. May they be content to walk as you've called them to walk from your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.